Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and so excited to be here with you. First and foremost, I want to say thank you so, so much for the patience in between each episode release. As you know, we release podcast episodes every week, but last week took a little bit of a break because if you follow me on social media or have seen the news, uh, my father unexpectedly passed away last week. Um, He was super young. He was super, um, yeah, healthy and just was um, gone in instantly um, out of nowhere and uh, spent the last week being with my family, obviously grieving. Um, It has not been easy for me. My father was my best friend. And so um, I want to say thank you for your patience. Thank you to everybody who's reached out to me. And uh, I appreciate you all so, so much for your kindness and support. And I want to say before starting this episode, um, if you have a loved one in your life that um, you you love and appreciate and and care for... um, please do me a favor and and give them a call and tell them how much you love them, how much they mean to you, and how much um, they've impacted your life positively. Uh, because the last conversation I had with my dad was great. It was amazing. The last words you said was, I love you. And it was I- incredible. It's one of those things where you also wish you had more opportunities to say those things. And um, I want everybody, you know, um, to just know to hug your loved ones a little bit closer and, um, tell them how much you mean to them. And uh, thank you all for your support. I appreciate you all so, so much. And uh, yeah, so sorry to start up the episode on a little bit of a downer, but I definitely wanted to um, reach out to everyone. I'm, I'm, you know, doing, doing the best I can and um, our family's doing okay. And I mean, okay as we can. But um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep on, keep on moving on too. And so I, I really wanted to record this episode here today because this is an episode I've been thinking about doing for a while, and it is how to become an ultra runner. And what this episode is, is we're going to teach you how to get into the sport of ultra running. And if you have been ultra running in the past before, this is going to give you some principles that might help you to optimize your um, training and belief system and things that you're doing in your own ultra running experience to help you become a better endurance athlete. Again, whether you're just starting to get into the world of ultras or you are someone who wants to take, you know, learn new principles as a current ultra runner to help you be a better endurance athlete. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my story, my background, all of the lessons I've learned along the way. And I've kind of distilled it into like several principles that I think apply to every single person when they go into the sport of ultra running to really be a great endurance athlete. So I'm going to share all my stories and um, I'm doing this in honor of my dad because without him, I would not be here today. I would not be ultra running. I would not be on the mic here with you. And um, he was my best friend and taught me everything. Um, you know, important to me in my life. So um, this is, this is for you, dad and love you so much. 
Now, before we dive into the episode, I wanted to give some exciting news and an exciting announcement. I am actually um, leaving my full-time job and I will be coaching full-time. Yes, I'll be doing running coaching. As you know, I launched my running coaching program uh, about a month ago and we've just had incredible success and tons of athletes on the roster and um, so much so that now I'm going full-time. So because you are listening to this podcast, you've helped to make that a reality. So I want to say thank you so much for that as well. And because I'm going full-time, I'm actually opening up five more coaching slots that I'm going to have available, but I'm only keeping it to five more once I hit the cap of what the athletes I'm taking on. I'm closing it off because I want to make sure I'm giving every athlete the attention. So if you are looking to to get training that is 100% customized to you, to your schedule, your goals, your needs, your fitness levels, um, I'm more than happy to do that for you. And so what I do is you tell me everything you want to accomplish, what your fitness levels are, what your goals are, what your schedule is, and I create a personalized um, plan for you to hit your goals without sacrificing all the other important priorities in your life, like family, work, friends, all that stuff, because I believe in order to be a great uh, ultra runner, you also have to be full in the other areas of your life as well. And so that is the genesis of what I kind of teach in my coaching as well. Plus you get one-on-one calls with me. Every plan is fully customizable to you. You get group coaching calls with us twice a month as well with the Everyday Ultra Racing Team. And you also get unlimited support from me through text and email. So whether you're someone who is going for their first ultra ever or someone who's looking to PR, maybe their fifth or sixth ultra, I will be happy to work with you as we work with anybody who is starting on their running journey or continuing their runner journey wherever you are at. So if you are interested in grabbing one of those last spots or having a call with me to talk about how we can work together, shoot me an email at everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram at Joe Corsione and just You can DM me the word coaching and we can set up a call, chat about it, and I can send you more information. And if you're in, we'll make it happen. And if not, no worries at all. But either way, I want to help you be a better endurance athlete. And so this is one of the ways that I'm doing it. So appreciate you a ton. All right. So let's get into the episode, how to become an ultra runner. And I love the wording choice that when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking, how do I really encapsulate this in the right way? And I chose the word become specifically. And the reason why that is, is because I can really relate to this journey because for me, I was not born an ultra runner and quite frankly, wasn't even born an athlete. I was someone who was growing up. I always got picked last on every single pickup game. I never played any organized sports in uh, high school and college besides golf, which I know you've heard me say on the podcast before, I don't really consider a sport and I can say that because I am a golfer. But anywho, why I say that is because the first principle of becoming an ultra runner that you have to believe is that you can become whoever you want to become no matter where you are now. You can become whoever you want to become no matter where you are now. And whether that's an 100 mile finisher, a 50K finisher, someone who's on the podium, all those things, whatever your heart desires and whatever you want to achieve in your life, you can get there even if you aren't even running now. And there is all the ways that I can tell you how to get there from a you know mental standpoint and a physical standpoint, which we're going to go into in this episode, but just know that having that belief is possible. And I don't, not just saying that because, you know, I want to be inspirational and motivational. It's the truth. And for me, that's kind of my genesis and my story. So kind of taking it back to kind of show you how this is possible for me when, when I was growing up, I was, you know, 
super crazy kid in school, always was bouncing off the walls, always was, you know, getting in trouble. And as such, for a kid who does get in trouble, you get taken to the doctors, you get evaluated, and um, to me, uh, diagnosed with ADHD. And so with that point, you know, being ADHD, um, I was prescribed Adderall, as most kids are when they are, you know, prescribed ADHD, um, or I should say, um, diagnosed with ADHD. So I was prescribed Adderall, and that was around when I was in first grade, so very, very young age. And I continue to take Adderall for pretty much every single day and year and school that I was in all the way, you know, through middle school and through high school and everything like that. Now, along the way, I was a very insecure kid. And as I mentioned before, with the athletics and being picked last on sports and, you know, I was on, you know, um, you know, different gym classes where I would get made fun of for the way that I caught a football or the way that I ran or anything like that. Um, and in the moment, they didn't seem to bother me, but deep down, it really led to this insecurities about me. And then also to taking the Adderall also led to deeper insecurities about me. Basically, all around, I was someone who wasn't cool. I wasn't athletic. I didn't have the abilities to do things. And I needed to rely on something like drugs, aka Adderall in this case, to really be someone that I can perform. And again, not just in those areas, but also in school and everything else like that and talking to, you know, the cute girl in high school and everything like that. I always felt like I needed that Adderall to be the person that I needed to be. And that was a deep insecurity for me. And once I started to discover all the other mind-altering substances out there, such as marijuana and alcohol and harder drugs, right, I saw that those things made me into the person that I really wanted to be, someone who was confident, someone who was, you know, chatting up with other people and someone who was, you know, liked by so many other people, right? And because of that, I leaned in so much harder into those things and dove into a world where I was drinking like crazy in high school. And I even went to college at Penn State University, was in a fraternity and got even to more wild things all on this pursuit to be someone who I wanted to be. And those things I felt like gave me those things. But in the end of the day, deep down, and I think we've all kind of been there before when we use something to alter our states or realities or something like that. Deep down, I had this insecurity that I'm only that person because I'm taking those things. And I always knew that, or I, I shouldn't say knew, but I felt like at the time that if those things didn't exist, I would be someone who I was completely unhappy and quite frankly, someone who just didn't like who I was because I thought that who I was inherently at my core, that crazy kid with ADHD, the kid that needed drugs, like that was who I was and that could not be changed. And so because of that, I leaned harder into all those substances. Now, fast forward, um, you know, I can always go into the nitty gritty gory details of the story, which I've shared on podcasts before, and I'll probably share, you know, on here too, but I really want to keep this to the principles of ultra running. But fast forward, all those decisions really led me to get to a point where I was dating a girl for four years and um, she left me. I thought I was going to marry her was dating her. I had left my job on Wall Street and I'd moved back in with my parents. And I remember sitting in the floor of the room in my parents' house and, and looking up at the ceiling and thinking, what the heck am I doing with my life? Everything was falling apart. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, you know what? I need to fix something. So what I did was, um, I don't, exactly know what compelled me to do this. It just felt right. Do you know when you have those things where you listen internally to the things that, you know, some voices and telling, telling you what to do something. Um, it just told me to go to Barnes and Noble one day. 
So I went to Barnes and Noble and I saw a book in the self-help section from a guy named Tony Robbins. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Tony Robbins, he is probably the the modern father of motivational speaking and everything like that. And I had heard his name before and, you know, people making fun of him and stuff. But I said, hey, you know, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. I don't know, but I'm going to pick up the book and see what happens. And I was pretty skeptical at the time. And I remember buying the book. I remember coming back home and sitting in my basement. And I remember reading that book. And uh, it's a huge book. I think it's like 400 pages. And I read the entire thing in one sitting. I could not put it down. And there's so much stuff in that side that book. But the one thing rang true to me that really, really hit me in the core. And that was reading about how Tony, he grew up. He was abused by his by his father. He was um, in a very, very poor household situation. He ended being overweight he ended up being broke he ended up being in this terrible situation and he talked about how he transformed himself to be tony robbins on who he is today and whether or not you know that story is true or not like reading that to me showed oh my gosh this guy was in a arguably worse situation that i was in in my life and he turned out to be tony robbins what the heck can i do with my life And so that was the first time where that belief that I started off this whole podcast on and you can become whoever you want to become no matter where you are now started to get ingrained into me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And at first, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to become sober and I didn't want to rely on Adderall because I I knew that insecurity was true to me that like I thought I could only be the person I am because I was taking the Adderall. And so I remember uh, getting up and I remember, uh, you know, having the Adderall and um, I said, you know what, I'm not going to take it anymore. And today it's going to stop and everything like that. And, um, I remember the next morning I woke up, I didn't take the Adderall for an hour. It probably went about great. I was on my high horse. And then I got the worst headaches imaginable that were just screaming at me, telling me to stop and telling me to take the Adderall. And, uh, I gave in, I gave in, I really only lasted an hour and I took the Adderall and I felt terrible about myself. And that's when I realized I said, you know what? I I need to work on my mind a little bit more before I dive fully into this challenge. And so I thought about all the things that I could really do to get my mind right. And one of the things was be healthy. And what was the thing that I knew that made someone healthy? It was, you guessed it, running. So I remember getting on a new pair of running shoes. I got some like shorts. I was like super excited. I was like, let's go do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run a mile. And uh, by the way, this was in 2018. This was 2018 summer 2018. And I remember getting on my running shoes and going out my front door and I'm gonna be like, yes, this is going to be incredible. And we're going to do this. I'm going to run down. I'm gonna run for a mile. It's going to be amazing. I probably ran about a quarter mile before I couldn't go anymore. Cause I was just winded. My legs were hurting. I was like, what the heck is going on here? And, um, that was really, really tough. It was really, really tough. And it was almost like a little demoralizing in the moment. But to be honest, like as as demoralizing as it felt, I also felt this sense of like accomplishment to be like, whoa, like that was hard and I did it. And even though it was not where I wanted to go, I at least made more progress. Like I ran that much continuously and that was pretty cool. And so here's another principle for you to take on your ultra running journey is whenever you're trying to level up your progress, whether it is running your first mile or whether it is going for a PR in your 100 mile distance, trying to get faster in any of those things, that progression is always going to be hard. It's never going to be an easy progression. And I think just knowing that right off the bat, 
is going to be something that's going to help you go through those low moments when you were like me in that moment thinking, why the heck am I not making progress faster? Why is this not getting in there? I think just knowing that it's going to be hard and it's going to be a process is going to be something that helps you to be patient with the process and inherently keep moving forward day after day. And so just know, like accepting that it is going to be hard. And this is not just something to do on your journey. This is something in an ultra marathon race. When you accept that it's going to be hard, that it's going to be difficult, that there are going to be moments when you feel like shit and you feel like you're going to quit. Accepting of that stuff makes it a lot more bearable to go because once you accept it, you don't resist it and you can get into the mode where you can say, okay, this is going to be the time where I need to deal with this difficulty in order to get to where I need to be, whether it is a hundred mile finisher or whether it is going on and saying, hey, I need to eventually get to where I need to run a mile. Accepting the struggle is the first step and then knowing how to deal with the struggle is your next step. And that's exactly what I did in my journey. So what did I do? I said, I looked up all the research on how do I make sure that I can you know, run a mile or how can I make sure that I can run continuously or how do I make running easier? And I dived into all the research and everything like that. And the one thing, like there's obviously training plans and progressions and everything like that. And the one thing that I saw, and it's so interesting because on the Everyday Ultra podcast, as you know, any guest that I have on the show, I always ask them one question. What is something our listeners can do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? And the most common answer is the exact same answer that I found when I was doing voracious research on how to be a better runner. And with that, it was be consistent, be deadly consistent. And I'm sure you've heard this many times. This is probably not groundbreaking information, but really what is the key to consistency, right? I think that's the the more nugget of information that I want to share because we all know how consistency compounds, right? Consistency, when you do it day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day, it's going to exponentially increase your results. It's just like when you're investing, right? We hear the term compound interest. The same thing goes true in our results, right? So with investing, if you invest, you know, $100, right? And then you make a, you know, let's just say 10% return on that, then you get $220. Now, if you go ahead and uh, invest another $100, now you have $330. Now you're making 10% on that same return on a bigger base. And therefore it's compounding because now that 10% is getting larger and larger and larger. So the same thing goes true with the daily deposits you make in the consistency when you're getting out there and running, right? There actually shows from scientific studies, the more that you you, you add in stressors on a consistent consistent basis to your body, the quicker it's going to adapt. Now, caveat there, uh, as I'm taking a pause and putting my coaching hat on here, um, that doesn't mean, you know, run 10 miles every single day nonstop if you have never ran before. That's not what I'm saying. You got to do it slowly and safely. But what I am saying is the more that you stimulate your body with the um, conditions in a safe manner that are going to help you to make progress, the more you're going to be able to do that. So like for me, I said, okay, I got to be consistent. I'm going to plan to run four days a week. The rest of the days I'm going to lift. I'm only going to run for a short amount of bit, and I'm just going to see what happens. And eventually what was happening was I increased my run time from or run distance from a quarter of a mile to a half mile to three quarters of a mile, and then eventually came to a mile. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I'm able to run a mile like without stopping. This is incredible. And I think what happens when anyone goes through a point in their running journey or just any journey in life. When you start to hit these progression benchmarks, you start to build this real true confidence in yourself. One of my most famous or uh, favorite quotes that I know is from Alex Hormozzi. 
And he said that confidence is not built by shouting affirmations in the mirror. It's built by actually doing the things that make you proud of who you are. And I love that quote so much because I think, you know, and listen, mantras are powerful. Like having these sayings are super, super powerful. But what really builds real tangible confidence, confidence that when you have it, your brain doesn't call BS because you're shouting useless mantras. Instead, when you get the results that make you proud, you can say, hey, I've done this before in the past. And your brain looks at that situation and goes, oh yeah, you did. You're a fucking badass. Let's go get it. Right. As opposed to if you just say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. When in reality, you don't kind of have this tangible evidence to kind of go on and do that. Um, it becomes hard for you know your brain to justify it. And it might say, I'm sure y'all have been here before, but the brain might say, yeah, right like what are you kidding like what are you talking about you you don't got this but when you have that real tangible evidence that happens as well so when I hit that mile and I would actually do this every single night I do this more so on a monthly basis but I did this really when I was trying to build my confidence for myself is every single night before bed what I did was I took a journal and I wrote what are the things that I'm proud of accomplishing today and I would always list out the things so I would list out I ran a mile today without stopping I felt great on my runs I hit my workouts I ate healthy today I would write those things down every single night like literally I think I wrote those things down every single night for six months straight every single day and what that does is gets you into the moment of, of really building that confidence that's writing down and showing you those things. So where this translates to ultra running and how to become an ultra runner is keeping training logs and noting when you absolutely fucking nail your workout. So let's just say you nail a long run or you nail an interval workout. I want you to be able to sit down and say, I did that and that was amazing because in the moments when you're in an ultra marathon and you hit a low point and you feel like you can't go, you can pull back on your experiences say, whoa, I was on that six hour long run. I was four hours in and I felt like crap, but I pushed through and I made it two hours through and I finished that thing. And right now I'm in this ultra and I'm probably two hours from the finish line. I know I can do this because I have the real tangible results to do that. And one of the most powerful ways to get it instilled into your brain is by writing it down either in a training log and you can do that online if you want, or you can do it in a notebook or your notes app or anything like that. But having it down, the act of actually writing those things down is going to increase grain it deeper in your brain and put it even closer into your subconscious in the moments when you need it. So that is one thing is celebrate and write down the wins. That's the next principle on there as well. So anyways, going back to my story. So I'd been doing this thing. I was, I was running my miles and everything like that. And I knew that I wanted to put it to the test. And to me at that time, I was like, man, I'm like, what's, what's a scary goal for me? And, uh, I know it's crazy to say this now, but at the time, the scary goal for me was running this 5k Spartan race in uh, Killington, Vermont. So not only was it obviously a 5k, which would be the farthest distance I ever ran. Um, it also had, I don't remember the exact number of elevation gain, but it was a lot of elevation. Like you're going up like double black diamond ski slopes. And obviously there's a ton of obstacles along the way. So it's way more than a 5k. And so I signed up for that thing and I signed up for it and trained for it. And I remember it kicked my butt. I remember I could not even walk the next day. What I was doing at that time in my life, I was actually bartending at a golf course just to make some money. Like as I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember going into the bar next day, like hobbling around and I was in so much pain. But let me tell you, like 
there is a reward. The reward that I got from crossing that finish line to be like, oh my gosh, three miles, it was the same kind of reward I had when going one mile, right? You hit these milestones along the way that actually unlocks the question, what else can I do? And you're building that belief. And so again, building that confidence, building that belief. And that's why I always suggest set goals that scare the ever living shit out of you, right? So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, you know, if you're thinking about, I want to do a hundred mile race, but right now it seems very unattainable. It seems super scary. It seems super crazy. That's the goal that you should probably go for. Now I'm not saying, you know, if you haven't ran before, sign up for a hundred mile in three or four months, you want to give yourself the time to train for it, but don't discount your goals based on where you are today. Don't discount your goals based on where you are today because you can always get to that point. Now, it, just in a matter of when is a question of how you can get the training in and how you can build those things. Those things are always figure outable. But, you know, in the end of the day, never, ever, ever, even if, you know, you're not going to be able to get there in four or five months because maybe you just started running out, that's okay. If you want to run 100 miles, like maybe you set it for next year, maybe you set it for two years down the road. All I'm saying is don't discount your goals. If you never started running, but you want to run Cocodona or you want to run Moab 240, one of these crazy races, fucking own that. Like own that. Seriously, like don't let anyone tell you you can't do that as a measure of where you are today. Because again, principle number one, you can become whoever you want to become no matter where you are now. And so never discount your goals. Now, for me, not discounting my goals led to me to do my first ultra, which I'll talk about in a second, but I want to round back to the Adderall thing. Now, during this journey where I was going through and, um, you know, smashing my first 5K and then I did the 10K and everything like that, um, one of the things that unlocked for me was, you know, if I can do these things going from someone who never ran before and I just ran my first 5K and 10K, um, and this was in between the 10K and the half marathon, but uh, I told myself, I said, you know what? I said, if I can do those things, then I can likely go sober. And for me, um, I remember um, I made a plan for myself to wean off the Adderall at first. So I was, um, I won't go into too much details about this, but I'm always happy to talk about it too. I'm actually doing a podcast episode with my friend Chad Lubinsky where I actually go through the detailed process of this, but this is kind of beyond the scope of it. But basically, um, I weaned myself off of Adderall shortly, like week after week after week. And then I actually went to a Tony Robbins conference, Unleash the Power Within. It's like a four-day conference, super high energy, super immersive. And that conference was just so powerful for me that I actually went home after it. I took my pills, flushed them down the toilet. And ever since then, I've been uh, five years sober from Adderall. So, um, but I, I owe, even though I, I don't want to point it to that specific conference exactly, because I had laid a lot of the groundwork that I was doing beforehand to give me that belief that I could go and do this and be sober. And for me, like at that conference, it was just like, honing in on those beliefs because where I learned that principle is learning from people like Tony Robbins and things like that because that was a conference that really went deep on that that's where that belief really gave me the utmost confidence to do it and so I actually came up with a formula um, that you can use to really really just say like how do I get this result right and whether that result is finishing a hundred miler finishing you know your first ultra finishing your first marathon going out and doing your first 5k like whatever those things are and this doesn't have to apply to running this can apply to anything in life but here is a formula that I always look to whenever I need to figure out what I need to do in the moment if I'm feeling stuck and that formula is belief multiplied by in parentheses action plus learning close parentheses, equals results. So there's a lot of parts on that, right? So in 
the parentheses, as I mentioned, is action plus learning, right? So I always say these things are combined because usually it's either a form of you're not taking enough action or you need to learn more in order to get the results that you want to do, right? So for us, if you know what you have to do, then you have to take more action. But if you don't know what you're doing, you can go ahead and learn. Now, learning can actually improve your action, which is why it's additive to that. And then your action is only as good as the learning that you're putting in. So those two things complement each other. Now, those are in parentheses and multiplied by belief. Now, why is that? Because belief exponentially increases the action and the learning that you do or the impact of the action and learning that you do to get the best results possible. And here's the caveat, right? Because if you get zero, if you have zero belief, you can do all the action and the learning in the world, but what is anything multiplied by zero? Zero. But if you believe in yourself to the utmost ability, then your actions and learnings are actually multiplied because here's the thing, even if the action is wrong or even if you learn the wrong thing, guess what? You're still going to get results because if you believe, then guess what's gonna happen? If you believe that you're eventually gonna get there, even if you fuck up and do the wrong thing, because you believe it, you're willing to look at those fuck ups and be like, oh, here's what I need to do better so I can get to where I need to be and this is not an indication of where I'm going to go. So you see that as a learning opportunity as opposed to a reflection on who you are inherently as a person and that gets you the results that you want on a long enough timeline because even though it's not happening right now and you fail if you have the belief that you're going to get there you see those things as learning opportunities so you can go ahead and learn and continue to get there and kind of fast forwarding, I won't fast forward the whole story to now, but I'm just giving a more relevant example. A lot of you know, I've been chasing a golden ticket for years and um, I haven't gotten there yet. And I've failed. Like I've, you know, gone through things where I've made mistakes and everything like that. But because I believe I can get there, all of those things I see as the opportunity for me to get better and to learn and to dissect so that I know anytime I tow the line for a golden ticket, it's going to help me to make progress. And therefore, because my action and learning, even though in a vacuum are not getting me to the results, because they're multiplied by the belief, they're going to allow me to get to the results quicker because I'm not sitting and sulking and saying, wow, you know, I got 10th place male at Havilene 100. I got 15th place at male at Havilene 100. That's only as good as I'm ever going to get. BS. Um, and that is, I'm not saying BS because, you know, on the shit or anything like that. It's because I truly believe that. And that should be the case with you. So if you've had some DNFs or maybe you've had some long runs that didn't go your right way, as long as you believe that in the future, you can get to where you want to be and you're willing to learn from those past mistakes, you can get to wherever you want to be in your life, in your ultra running journey, anything like that. So belief multiplied by action plus learning and that action and learning is in parentheses, that will equal your results. And even if that result isn't exactly where you want to be, that result can be the lessons that you learned along the way through failure to get you to the end goal. All right, a little bit of a tangent there, but um, I just want to say like that helped me not just in ultra running, but to get sober and a lot of those things carry true from there. Now, for me, um, here is uh, where I kind of get into the ultra running journey. So I just finished my um, 5K, I did the 10K, and I did the half marathon. Now, that was all in a span. Let's see, the 5K was in September. I did the, the 10K in October, end of October, and then I did the half marathon in beginning of December. So it was a very short 
time frame where I really ramped up. And what happened was um, I had ramped up really, really quickly. And then I remember right after the half marathon, I actually went out and I started continuing my training as is, and I ended up getting injured. And um, I think I was, you know, taking it really, really fast in terms of the buildup and everything like that. And that comes to the next kind of principle that I have is you can have big goals, but you need to give yourself enough time to do it, right? So the general principle is identify what you want to go for and give yourself enough time to what you're building up to. Now, I get the question all the time, all the time. They're saying, hey, I want to train for a 100 miler. How long do I need to get there? Or like, how long do I need to train to get there? And my answer is always like, as long as you possibly need. And um, now that's not to say, you know, you need to train a year or two years for an ultra marathon. I always just say, you know, let's just say right now your goal is to do Leadville 100 next year. Like the ideal time to train would be tomorrow, right? Um, and you can always build up to that from there. Like the more time you give yourself to build, the more time you're going to have the ability to make progress on those things. Um, but at the same time, you have to be realistic to give yourself enough time to build on that as well. Now, this is all based on personal factors and things like that, but I have a general rule of thumb that I kind of always work with with my athletes and what's kind of been seen empirical in terms of the results that, um, you know, get people well prepared for a specific race. So um, there's kind of two buckets that you can go to. And this is what I call the minimum maximum principle. Um, I learned this from Jason Coop. It's an incredible tool. It's an incredible resource that you can use to gauge whether or not, you know, your body has the mileage or I shouldn't say the mileage, but the volume enough needed to complete an ultra race is for a 50K or a 50 mile race. If you are putting in at least six hours of running in your three highest peak weeks in your training, at least six hours, you can do a lot more, but at least six hours, and you're doing that without pain, without, you know, feeling like you're burning yourself out and you're, you're, you're feeling like you're nailing it, then that is, means you're ready for a 50 K or a 50 miler. So that's the one thing on there. Now the hundred K and hundred mile distance, that principle actually bumps up. So, um, what I always try and do with my athletes is get them to um, nine hours of week, at least a training for their highest six weeks of peak training in their ultra, in their 100K or 100 mile buildup. So just to recap on that for 50K, it is 50K and 50 miler. It is at least six hours of training for three of your, the three of your highest weeks of training in your build. 100K and 100 miler is at least nine hours of training in your six highest peak weeks um, inside your training block. Now, how do you get to that point? if you are starting from scratch or starting from a lower point on there. Now, volume progression does base on individual person, but you can generally, if like you're not working with a coach or anything, because I think the value of working with a coach is like they can increase your volume based on how they see you progressing. But if you don't have a coach or you're kind of just looking to do this yourself, um, generally anywhere around 10% uh, volume increase week after week is kind of the way to go for it. So I would take where you're at now and then kind of do that 10% increase progression. Now, a word of caution on that, don't just do a straight line increase all the way up to your race. I usually suggest for a rule of thumb, again, this is customizable for you know many people if they're working with a coach, but um, what you can do is take three weeks of building. So you do this week and then next week increase it by 10% and the week after that increase that week by 10% and then always take a deload week on the fourth week. So like with that fourth week, 
Um, what I usually generally like to do is take an hour or an hour and a half less than the block that I currently did the week before. That way you give your body a little bit of a recovery period because if you just keep on building and building and building and building and building and building and building, by the time you get to the taper, you're going to be freaking exhausted. So you need to give your body that rest and recovery period to be able to keep going on the cycle. Now, just to know after that deload week, when you do progress, um, make that one you know around 10% higher than the other one as well. Now, a word of confidence when you do start to get to some of the higher volumes, right? Like let's just say you're training nine hours, 10 hours, 11 hours a week. You don't have to be as aggressive with the 10% because like we were talking about with compounding before, 10% of those bigger numbers are going to be a pretty big number, right? So if you're doing nine hours, 10% of that goes to like 1030, you might want to just take it down just a little bit. So the higher you go, the 10% should get maybe get a little less, um, but just know that that's kind of a good way to think about your progression when you're starting it out on there as well. Um, and that also being said, like, don't just, you know, I, I always suggest not to try and follow a blind training plan if it mismatches where you're at today. Because um, as I'll kind of talk about on here, um, one of the biggest mistakes that I kind of made along my journey was um, I followed a training plan that was way more advanced than where I thought I was. And so what do I mean by that? So kind of going back to the story of the timeline where I, you know, did all these races, um, I knew that I wanted to train for a Spartan Ultra. And um, a Spartan Ultra is a 50K distance, 60 obstacles, um, super gnarly. The one that we were looking at, um, meaning we, my, my cousin and one of my best friends, uh, Nick and Anthony, love them to death. They're going to be groomsmen at my wedding. I'm so excited to, to have them there with me. Um, but, um, and Nick's my best man, by the way. I know probably details it. Not sure if anyone gives a shit about, but feel like uh, feel like I might just say that anyways. Anywho, um, we were going to do the one in Hawaii. So we were super stoked for this. Like it was going to be amazing. And I was so excited to get in on training. And I remember looking up a random training plan online and I was like, yep, this is going to be great. Like, yeah, 50K training plan from someone who knows what they're talking about. Like, let's go ahead and do it. Now, the problem was this was a training plan meant for someone who had already done a marathon and I had never done a marathon in my entire life. So I remember the first long run that I had on there was a 14 mile long run. And that was the first on the training plan. And for me, um, the longest I'd ever run before that was 13 miles. So right off the bat, I was just going the longest that I'd ever done. And I barely even gave myself a recovery period. And I remember absolutely injuring myself right off the bat. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had IT band syndrome. It was absolutely terrible. Like if you've ever had IT, IT band syndrome before, you know how terrible it is. If not, um, basically think of every time you run, um, it's a feeling of someone taking like an ice pick and shoving it in the side of your knee. And it's just this sharp, terrible pain. So, so bad. Um, so for me, um, I was like, okay, well that was really stupid. And, um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Like I was like, oh, maybe I need to, to rest and recover and do all those things and, you know, see what happens. And I rested for like a week and two weeks and then went to go run again and no improvement rested again. And then, uh, yeah, no improvement again. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to go to a physical therapist. And that's when I learned one principle that also changed my life in terms of just injury prevention and, and recovery and all those things as well is that if you get injured, 
sometimes the best thing to do is to keep doing things. And sometimes the worst thing to do is not doing anything at all. Now, I'm not saying run through injury. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, there are a lot of injuries, in my case, with the IT band syndrome, where you shouldn't be running. But you should be doing something else for most injuries. I'll explain the one that you shouldn't really be doing anything. But for most injuries, like runner's knee, IT band syndrome, shin splints, all those kind of things, you should be strength training to rehab those things. Now, if you currently are in strength training um, and you don't have a history with injuries, totally fine that you're not strength training. I'm more so talking about if you get these aches and sores and painness and all this kind of stuff as well, it might be useful for you to strength train. In fact, it's going to be more beneficial for you to strength train than just sitting around and doing nothing. And here is why. Generally, because when we get injuries or things that happen, um, it can be because of many different factors on there. But one of the best things to do to rehab the muscles is to go ahead and actually strengthen those muscles. Because when you strengthen those muscles, they become more resilient, they fall into alignment much better, and ultimately, it prevents them from having any structural injuries, and it also keeps them a lot more healed as well. So, just know that like the whole resting thing isn't actually a great thing. My good friend Brody Sharp, who is the uh, host of the Run Smarter podcast, great, great, great dude. But uh, he talks about like there's this rest and recovery death spiral that he talks about where people go ahead and they rest for a little bit when they get a running injury and then they go out running and their their injury seems worse and then they rest again and then their injury seems worse and they kind of like why can't I fix this thing and it's because we're resting and sitting there and doing nothing and we're not strengthening it and actually by doing nothing the muscle does tend to atrophy and lose its strength a little bit so it just gets even worse so therefore we need to continue to continue to do this active kind of phase of lifting and everything like that now what those specific exercises are and everything is a little bit of an outside scope of this podcast, but I encourage you if you're listening now or if you ever have injuries that do pop up to go on some sort of strength regimen routine. Now, the only scenario where this is in this is not the rule is a stress fracture. If you get a stress fracture, do not do 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 not do anything. Don't strength train, don't run, don't do anything, anything like that. Like don't do that shit. Um, stress fractures are unique in the sense that it's a bone injury and we cannot put pressure on that even lifting weights. So just know that if it is a stress fracture that is something you seriously you that is where this rule does not apply the best thing to do in that scenario is nothing and you have to let that recover with time now as you start to recover if you get the clearance from your doctor to start doing some activity that's where you can add in some strength stuff but you have to be very careful not to push it now with anything else like a lot of like runner's knee shin splints uh, achilles tendonitis a lot of these other common things um, it is best to go ahead and actually do some sort of strength training and even with running like as long as you are running and the pain doesn't get worse or if it's anything below a four out of 10, or I should say, or, and, and it's below a four out of 10, you can likely continue to keep running, but just know that if the pain gets worse, you need to stop. And if it's above a four out of 10, you also need to stop. And you also need to um, think about a rehab plan from there. So that is an important thing, especially when we're going into the high mileage ultra running kind of stuff. Um, that is something to, um, definitely keep aware of. So for me, I had IT band syndrome. It took me, um, now I don't say this to scare people if you have it right now, but I, again, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And so for me, I think it took me like three months to get, uh, back into it, which gave me so that like, I got healed on that thing in March of 2019 and the ultra was in August, mid August. Yep. Mid August of 2019. So that gave me what April, May, June, July, August, like five months to train for my first 50 K when my longest run that I'd done beforehand was a half marathon. So, um, and I was easily way past that six hour kind of mark. Cause again, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was still using that same marathon training plan, like an idiot. And, uh, it had me running like 
you know, these crazy long runs that I had probably no business being out there doing. And I was definitely feeling tired and everything like that. But in the end of the day, I, um, I made it, I made it and, uh, I did it in the ultra. And I think, you know, again, a lot of the experiences I'm talking about, be consistent, best way to go for big goals, not discounting it, formula for progress, all that went in there too. But there was one lesson during the ultra that has stuck with me. My first Spartan ultra that I did that really, really just you know, helped me a ton. And, um, I think this lesson is something that every single ultra runner has to get in order to be successful in their races. And as I was going through, I remember, um, we, so the way the Spartan ultra works, it's a two loop course. So you do the one loop and then you come back to the transition and you do the same loop again. Um, but the cutoffs, like there's cutoffs just like any other ultra, right? And I remember we, we did the first loop and we came in way slower than expected. And we were really close to cut off. I think we were like 15 or 20 minutes, like, like out of the aid station, basically to cut off. And I remember we were all freaking out. We were being in that situation. And I remember initially freaking out and being like, oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? Are we not going to get this? And then I remember we were talking to someone. He was like, Hey man, if you only go like if you go 15 minute miles from here on out, you're going to be able to finish this thing. And I was like, Oh, like, man, this guy's pretty calm. And he was in the same boat as I was. So like, you know, it was just kind of like, whatever this guy wasn't freaking out. And that was when something hit me. And I realized something that guy gave me a solution to the problem that I was facing. And he was super calm about it. Whereas before I was so focused on the problem, I didn't even think about the solution. And that's when I realized that in order to be a great ultra runner. And when I say great ultra runner, I don't mean, you know, the podium or getting PRs. When I say great ultra runner, I mean, someone who's accomplishing the goals that they want to accomplish. So let me just say that rather way and by the way you don't need to be hitting the podium or doing any of this shit right like you do what's important to you so that's what makes a great ultra runner in my mind but that being said if you want to be a great ultra runner you have to be a great problem solver you have to be a great problem solver because it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when things go wrong in your ultra and how you deal with those things is going to determine your success a lot of times when people say oh man it wasn't a great race sometimes they chalk it up to the things that went wrong outside of their control but that is not that is not how we should look at it whether or not a race goes quote unquote good or bad is going to be a result of how you handle the problems that arise because problems will happen and a lot of them are out of your control, right? You might plan for a very hot race and then the next day you look at the forecast when you go to toe the line and it's fucking raining, it's pouring, it's chilly and you're like, what the heck? I didn't train for running in mud. And so how you deal with that problem is going to determine your success on that day. Not the rain, not anything like that. It's how you determine it because guess what? Everybody who toes that start line is going through the same thing. And so... <laughs> Whoever manages it the best is going to be able to get there. Now, there might be very idiosyncratic things that might happen, right? You might go ahead and, you know, go to tear your electrolytes bag open and the powder spills everywhere and you don't have electrolytes. Your shoe might explode. You might throw up. Like, there's so many things that would happen. But again, you got to be a great problem solver. And the best way to become a good problem solver is, well practice solving problems and where you do this is on your long runs. So when you're having long runs, generally four, five, six, seven hours, whatever, however long your long run is, there's going to be problems that pop up. You're going to get tired. You're going to fuck up some of your gear stuff. You're going to um, maybe get some GI issues. You're going to feel like you are, you know, can't go anymore. And you're gonna be like, why the heck can't I go on anymore? You are going to face problems. And in those moments, it is a very low risk opportunity for you to practice how to get through those things. Whereas if you're in a race, I mean, again, when I say high risk, it's all relative, but I mean, high risk in result of the goal, right? Because if you don't solve the problem in the race, you risk 
missing out on your goal. But if you don't solve that problem on your training run, then you just don't solve the problem in your training run, right? The goal is still intact. It's still able to get there. So just know that like using your long runs as your dojo for solving problems is going to be a way for you to build your problem solving muscle. And to go back to the belief part as well is going to give you the belief that you can solve those problems in the middle of an ultra marathon. Having a keen and clean mind is going to be able to get you through any of those things as well. So when those things happen, there's uh, at a race, there's a technique that I like to us um, really, really employ called the adapt technique and over the years i've used this in pretty much every single ultra that i've gone in because uh, besides the first one obviously because that's when i learned to be a good problem solver but um, i did learn this technique and it has changed my life in in ultras and have saved my race and have really really just you know helped me to get through problems and so the adapt method which by the way that's an acronym as you're going to see based on the steps that I say, um, into a five-step process. So the A is for accept. So when the problem arises, as I said before, you got to accept that things are hard. You also got to accept that the problem is happening. Do not resist it. So for example, let's just say you're running and you start to get a hot spot in your foot. Don't just ignore it and be like, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to think about it. I'm just going to keep going. You got to accept that the problem is happening. Be like, okay, I'm getting a hot spot here because the problem is, is if you resist it, your brain is going to continually try and make the signal louder and louder and louder and louder until you pay attention to it and you're like, what? And then by then it can be too late. So in order to get yourself rid of that mental stress, you need to accept it in the beginning, accept that it's happening and just know that it's a problem. Now, again, don't see it as a problem. See it as a situation, right? This is the situation here, right? So when you don't see it as like a problem or an issue and you just label it as a situation, it takes a lot of that negative kind of connotation out of it that can send your brain into like fight or flight mode, like what the hell is going on? So accept that it's a situation, don't resist it. Now the D is diagnose and it's super simple. Ask yourself the question, what is the situation here? That's it, what's the situation? And when you ask that question, going back to the same example, the hotspot, you say, I got a hotspot on my foot. That's the situation. Now, the next is A, analyze. Based on the inputs you're assessing, analyze what the potential solutions are. So you have the hotspot and you start to analyze those things, being like, okay, well, there's an aid station two miles away. They have a medic there. I'll have the medic work on my feet, tape it up. Everything like that will be good to go. Or, hey, I'm like 10 miles away from the aid station and I have all my blister stuff on me right now. It actually might make more sense if I just sat down and worked it on myself and made it happen like that analyze the potential solutions are now you don't have to decide yet because that's the p but you want to make sure to like map out all your solutions and what might be the best in the situation that it's in now the next is p which is plan so you make a plan to remediate the issue so you thought of all the solutions you thought of the things in the moment and then you land on your best one so for you you said okay there's two miles ahead of the next aid station i'm going to have this person work on me because while he's working i'm going to work on refueling my calories and things like that because if i stop and do it now i'm going to have to refuel at the aid station anyways so i might as well compound my time and do it on there right great that's the plan p make a plan to remediate that situation at hand and the t take action execute on the plan, make it happen. If you follow this adapt method and do it in a way where you can be as level-headed as possible, you are going to be able to solve any single problem that you get in the middle of an ultra marathon, whether it's blisters, whether it's GI issues, whether it's, you know, feeling like you're mentally low or sleepy or any of those things, follow the adapt method and you're going to be doing it. So that's the other principle. Um, I did not expect to give that, that technique there, but I'm sure it will be helpful. But to be a great ultra runner, you have to be a great problem solver. So that's uh, the one thing on there that I will say. 
Now, I finished the first 50K to kind of go through that story. I finished the, the Spartan 50K. We did it in like 11 hours, which is, yeah, it was, it was a long day out there. 11 hours uh, for that 50K, but we did it and it was great and it was amazing. And I remember asking myself like, okay, like what's next after this? Like, what do I want to do? And um, I like was thinking about considering going into the the you know spartans a little bit deeper i was like i want to you know get faster at the spartans i want to keep doing these things like and see what happens and then i got a piece of advice from one of my mentors along the way so um, i had a mentor who really just you know i valued his opinion and everything like that and i remember asking him something and i said hey like you know do you think i should just keep doing these spartan races like what would be your opinion and he looked at me and he said do you know what else is out there and i was like i don't i don't know what else is out there and he said well go find out and at first I was confused by that. I was like, what do you mean? Go find out, like, go like look online and things like that. He's like, no, like you're young, go do shit. And like, go figure out what it is you actually want to do in this sport just by trying it out. And I was like, oh, that interesting. And that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think that, you know, even though at the time when I got that advice, I believe I was, if I'm doing my math correctly, 25, I think 25 years old. Um, you know, I, still think it holds true for anyone getting into their ultra running journey, whether they are 25 or whether they are 50, um, is going in and trying anything and everything to experience it all. Everything and anything to experience it all. I think one of the coolest things about ultra running is there's so many variations of different types of events. There's trail runs, there's road runs, there's mountain races, there's flat races, there's fixed time races, there's 100 miles, there's, you know, there's there's so many, there's relay races, right? There's so many different areas of opportunity that you can go and experience on there. And I think it's so cool as humans where we can go through and experience all these things, right? And so um, I always say like for ultra runners, like, and, and this is even someone who maybe you are, you know, have been doing the same kind of thing for years, right? Like maybe you, you know, have been doing the Spartan races for years and maybe you've been doing, um, you know, Ironmans for years or things like that. And you're looking for a little bit of a change. Like there are so many opportunities out there. And I, I suggest like, you know, if you are a current ultra runner and you're kind of feeling burnt out with like the things that you're doing, try and shake it up a little bit. If you're a flat runner, go for a mountain race. If you're a mountain runner, maybe go for a flat race, right? Like, um, I always, or maybe go run in a place that you've never ran on, right? If you're a West coast trail runner, maybe take an East coast run for, for a spin or vice versa. Right. So I think, you know, getting your, giving yourself the opportunity to try everything and anything at all, obviously is a great way to experience life. But here's the coolest thing is because you try everything and anything, you get to find the areas that you love the most. And that's going to maximize your enjoyment as an ultra runner. So, like for me, like I remember like hearing that and I said, oh, I'm going to try out some things and see what happens. And so for me, I actually went from the ultra race and I actually, what I did was at first I went to my first 50 mile race. Now for this 50 mile race that I did right after that, um, I, you know, got a smarter training plan and everything like that. And, you know, really fine tune a lot of those, those things, which I'll, I'll kind of talk about another principle that I learned along the way as well. But, um, just to say, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this 50 mile race, but after the 50 mile, instead of going right into the hundred mile, I actually did Ironman for a little bit. So I know Ironman's getting a lot of shit in the press right now, um, based on what they did to our boy, Gary Robbins, which I definitely, definitely am team Gary on that one. If you're asking for my opinion on that, but that's neither here or there. Um, but anywho, um, with, with that, uh, I went into the Ironman world and I actually did uh, a couple of full distance Ironmans and I did, um, an Ultraman, which is almost like a double Ironman pretty much. Um, and I realized that I 
fucking hated it. I hated biking. I did not like swimming, but I loved running. Now, do I regret that experience? Absolutely not. Like those are amazing experiences. I was so glad to do those things. But the thing was, I was also glad that I said, okay, now I know I don't like this. Let's focus on what I do like. And I said, you know what? Like, I love that 50 miler. I thought it was rad. I thought it was amazing. Like, let's go for a hundred miles. And so that's what I did. I went for a hundred miles after that as well. And that was where I really started the journey. But I know, like, cause I think everybody has an inkling of, you know, maybe I'd like triathlon. I don't know. I've never tried it. Go find out, go find out. And the worst case scenario, you find out you don't like it, which is great. And I always say like, here's this mantra that, you know, always helps me. And I feel like, you know, I'm stuck on a decision or I feel like I'm not making a decision because I, I'm afraid that it's going to be the wrong one. Here is something that I always think about. It's way better to run a thousand miles in the wrong direction than it is standing still. It's way better to run a thousand miles in the wrong direction than it is standing still. And here's why it's because if you have a destination on where you want to go, right? Like you're never going to find out which direction is the right way. If you just stand there, literally you were in the same spot before, but even if you run a thousand miles in the wrong direction, even though you are a thousand miles away from where you were currently, guess what? Now you know that the path that you took isn't the way to get you to your goal. So now you know to cross that out and now you have less options to choose on the right path to go there. Now you might run a thousand miles in the wrong direction here and there again, but again, you're crossing off those things to help to orient you on the way that's gonna get you closer to the goal itself, right? Whereas opposed if you're just standing still and not making a decision, then guess what? You're going to be in the same spot that you were before. So all I'm saying is like, if you're just like, where do I start? Do I start doing trail races? Do I start doing Ragnars? Do I start doing, you know, uh, 100 milers? Like, I don't know what to pick. Like, I just say, just pick, figure it out see if you like it and everything like that. Now, a caveat to this, and this is another um, principle that I always, always, always think is the most, one of the most important. And that is you need to learn to love the training more than you do the actual race itself. You need to learn to love the training the more than you love the actual race itself. And I'll give you an example, again, from the Ironman kind of days. Um, if you've raced an Ironman or have been to an Ironman, um, and again, like I'm not supporting Ironman, with everything that's going on right now. So just a heads up on that. Um, I'm just saying this from personal experience. If you've been to an Ironman before, again, I'll just say it like Ironman sucks with everything, but um, I don't think I need to beat that dead horse anymore, but I'm very passionate about that stuff. But anywho, um, the energy that you feel at an Ironman race is great. Like you cross the finish line. They say you are an Ironman. Like, you know, there's fucking fireworks going off and shit. It's like, it's wild it is an electric experience. Like it is so, so freaking cool. Now the problem is like, while the race is so epic, my God, that I hate the training. I hated the training so much. I hated getting on the bike. I hated getting on the trainer. I hated maintaining the bike. I hated getting in the pool. Like I just did not enjoy it at all. I hated not being on the trails because I was running a lot of roads. I was like, this sucks. And I'm not bashing triathlon. It's just for me personally, I didn't like it. And so even though I liked the races and I liked the experience of it, I did not like the actual training. And the reality is when you're training for a race, most of your time, 99% of your time, of your experience leading up to the race is going to be the training. So if you don't like the training, you're going to hate most of your experience. And that is not why we got into trail running. Like we got into trail running and ultra running because we love the sport and we wanna have fun and we wanna enjoy it. And we only have one life, so we need to enjoy it. So therefore, only pick the things that you're going to enjoy the training. And again, if you're unsure of that, just pick and find out. And if you don't like the training for it, you don't have to continue on with it. Like I have a friend too, who, you know, we did the Ironman together. It's actually, uh, Anthony, shout out Anthony. Um, but 
I'm using it as an example here. I'm not putting you on blast. Um, but I remember we did the Ironman together, the first one in Lake Placid. And then right after that, he signed up for the next year Ironman. And then for me, um, instead of that, I signed up for hundred miler. I was like, I'm going to do the hundred miler. And I remember he started to train for the Ironman. He's like, I just don't enjoy swimming. Like, I just don't enjoy swimming. I don't enjoy this process. And he said, you know what? I'm just not going to do the race. And I thought that was such a smart decision because, you know, I knew he didn't like swimming and he would have been getting in that pool, super miserable, not liking it um, all for one day of greatness. And um, I think, you know, you need to love the training more than the races. So just be sure that you're actually loving the training. And if you're in a training regimen and you're not liking it, try and shake it up a bit, get on a new trail, maybe get on, you know, a different area or anything like that. And even if you're switching it up along the way and you still don't like it, maybe it's something that you want to pivot towards the goal. Now I'm not saying like give up on the goal. If the race is a week out, right? At least see it through to the finish. But if you're like six months away and you hate the training, it might be worth looking at your options to see if you can get a refund or a race credit or anything like that, um, just to see if you can find something that you really like. So um, make sure that you are loving the training more than the actual race itself. Now, um, two more principles that I'll kind of go on to here, because we're kind of getting closer and closer to like my journey. Now, my first 100 mile race was was the Zion 100. And for me, like, um, this was a very, very pivotal training moment for me because this was actually the first time I'd ever started to work with a coach. Um, for me, like I really, really wanted to know what the hell I was doing in terms of training and things like that. And so I hired a coach at the time and it was Zach Bitter, as you all know, was my coach. So I hired him as a coach and that was the coolest training block for me because number one, it was so different. Number two, I finally figured out what the heck I was doing. And then number three, I really progress as an athlete farther than I, I could ever do. Now, um, obviously that goes into smart training structure and everything like that, but there was two big lessons that I learned, you know, when I finally got what a good training structure is like that really aims to, uh, two principles to, um, to being a great ultra runner. And number one is that most of your runs should be easy and you should be running your easy runs easy. So with that, and it said, you need to get comfortable running stupidly easy and stupidly slow because that's how you are going to build your endurance. Now, a lot of times, if you're coming from a background of like road marathon or like even half marathon or things like that, or even if you're like me, when I first started running, like I was just trying to hit like mile PRs and I was trying to gun it. And I was like trying to like leave every run feeling absolutely depleted because I was like this is how you're gonna do it you gotta push yourself man and you gotta you gotta go out there and rip it dog like I didn't actually sound like that but you know maybe I did I don't know anyways who cares but um regardless um I was just trying to rip it every time and I wondered why my pace was so stagnant. Like my pace was so stagnant. Like I wasn't getting any faster. In fact, I felt like I was getting slower. I always felt like burned out. I was like, what the hell is going on? And that's when I learned that principle of you have to run ridiculously slow for most of your runs. And what do I mean by ridiculously slow? So um, slow is all relative. And this kind of gets more into training theory, which I'll do an episode on real, real quickly. But um, what, how I would define like the slow endurance work that you need to have most of your miles in when you're training is you should be able to run and have what's called an all day pace where you feel like you can keep carrying that pace for all day. Now to measure if you're going at that right pace, one of the best gauges to do it is uh, utilizing a talk test. And what that talk test is literally just start talking. You should be able to talk clearly without being out of breath, almost like that I'm doing right now, and also be able to sing very comfortably without any interruption. Now, if you're able to talk and you're able to sing, and yes, you might look 
absolutely insane to the people around you who see you talking and singing while you're running, but who the fuck cares? You're actually keeping yourself in check. Um, but if you are going and talking and singing and you're doing that comfortably, you are likely at the right intensity. Now, I totally get it. You might be like, this is so slow. This is painful. Oh my gosh, this is nuts. But here's the thing. Like, there's actually some kind of a beauty into running slow. And one of the things that really helps me is like, you start to just, you know, take in the world around you, right? If you're running on the trails, like taking the trails, taking the the feeling and everything like that. And why it's so important to run slow, like too, because even just knowing the why of why it's so important can get you to do a lot more. The reason why it's important to run slow is because you're building your aerobic base. Now, when you are running in an ultra marathon, the energy system you're tapping into is your aerobic energy system. Now, without getting too deep into the science, your aerobic energy system is primarily involved in helping you to burn uh, fat inside of your body, which is our long fuel energy source. So if you think about like the two types of energy sources, there's carbohydrates, which we all love and know. Hell yeah. Shout out carbs. Um, sorry, Mike McKnight. Um, not, not, that's not a diss to Mike. It's just, he's the low carb runner. Anyways, Mike, if you're listening to this, I love you, man. But, um, Anyways, uh, there is carbohydrates and then there is uh, fat, right? So carbohydrates, the way that I always like to look at it is if we're thinking about our energy system as a fireplace, right? Or a fire pit, whatever you're, whatever you want to use for this analogy. If you are throwing in like tinder, like, like really like thin branches and leaves and, you know, things like that, you're going to throw that on the fire and it's going to ignite the fire really, really intensely, really quickly, but it's going to burn out so quickly. Whereas if you take something like a big log, right, a big log, it's going to burn really slow. It's not going to burn as intensely, but it's going to keep that fire kind of going really, really slow, right? And it's going to have that burn in there for a longer period of time. So why uh, it's important to get our body into that fat building mentality, or I should say mentality, some fat building mode, um, we have to run slow because it helps to build that energy system because a lot of times our body's not trained to uh, have that system to be strong enough to carry that fat uh, burning for a long period of time. So with that in itself, like you need to really go ahead and have your body efficiently go ahead and get into that processing state. So by running slow, you train your body to do that. And you're going to see that by going slow, you're going to be going faster because what's going to be happening is your body's going to get more efficient at having that aerobic engine being turned on and you're going to be able to go for longer for faster periods of time. And that's going to help you to be able to have your body to go for these longer distances. So running slow is actually the key to going fast. How interesting is that? Right? It's a paradox. Now, there was one quote, I believe it was Patrick Reagan. I heard it on the podcast and it, it stuck with me ever since. And if it wasn't Pat, whoever this was who said this to me, like it just stuck with me ever since. And he said, he goes, I would rather run my easy runs 20% slower than 1% harder just for the sake of Strava or feeling good. Because that 20% slower is actually going to lead in a much beneficial impact, whereas the 1% faster actually might set me back. Because that's the thing, if you run a little too fast and a little too over that recovery period, or I shouldn't say recovery period, but endurance zone, you actually might push your body more into that anaerobic phase, which again, that's the opposite of aerobic. That's more so for, you know, your high intensity work. It's more going to tap into your carbohydrate stores. And that actually is going to be contradictory to the energy source that you want to go ahead and have when you are burning things out there. So, or when you are, you know, going long distances, so to say. So um, when in doubt, run easier. 
and that should be most of your mileage as well. And so that's what I was doing for most of my 100 mile training was running very low and slow. Now, I remember when I was training for like my Ironmans and things like that, like I would be fucking ripping. I'd be ripping it. And uh, I remember like running my first few weeks on the training plan and I was like, this is slow. Like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm not making progress. And, but in that time frame, I moved my average, uh, uh, like, what I call recovery pace, um, and endurance pace from, um, basically it was like, you know, 9:45 to, by the time I was at the end of not Zion 100, but like Havelina hundred, which I kind of kept the block into. I mean, my recovery pace was like eight minutes flat. And I, I owe a lot of that to going as slow as I could while still running and having that endurance base on there. So that principle is be comfortable with going low and slow on your runs. Now, the second principle on that is actually seems contradictory to it, but it is something that is also really, really important and something that's not talked about uh, in the endurance world. I'm going to do a whole episode on this this topic because I think it's something that um, people miss out on and I think it's, it's such a secret sauce to implement in your training if you aren't already. Um, and that is once you've built a good aerobic base. Now, hence I said, once you have built a good aerobic base, this is not something that that you want to throw in right off the bat is in, incorporate some speed work in order to increase your pace even further, right? So you said, Hey Joe, you just told me to run slow. And now you're saying incorporate speed work. What the fuck are you talking about? Now, listen, even if you're incorporating speed work, most of your mileage throughout the week should be at a low intensity. Cause if you're doing speed work and let's just say you're running six days a week, I would usually suggest at the very, very maximum, maybe, and like this is very rare, um, you might do three speed workouts in a week during a speed workout phase, which again gets more into training theory. But for the most part, you're probably doing one or two speed workouts a week, and the remaining running days are going to be that low intensity. Um, so anyways, but why speed work is also so important is because even though you were training your aerobic system, doing the endurance stuff, you still need to train your anaerobic system and improve your VO2 max in order to get faster because your body essentially has three different energy areas, right? There's the energy area responsible for your VO2 max, which you probably heard that word before, but it's basically a fancy way of saying how your body processes is oxygen. Then there's the energy system responsible for your lactate threshold. Now, lactate threshold, again, not to get into the fancy words here, but this is the um, threshold that your body will hit at a point when lactate, aka like the things in your muscles that, you know, get generated when they are working hard. Um, if that builds up too quickly to the point where your body can't handle it anymore, you have hit your lactate threshold and therefore your body's going to force to slow you down. So that's like when you start running and your legs start getting this burning feeling, you start to breathe a little heavier, you start to inherently slow down, you've probably hit your lactate threshold and your body's telling you to chill the F out. Um, so that's the lactate threshold. So that's that there's an energy system responsible for that. And then as mentioned before, our old friend, the endurance aerobic energy system, that is that. So there's there's three energy systems. Now, if we're just doing the aerobic stuff, we are working all three energy systems. However, um, and this gets deep into training theory, which again, I'll, I'll put on another episode, but um, we want to be able to take all three energy systems and target them in a way where we're training all of them to their maximum potential, right? So if we're doing endurance training, we're training that energy system to its full potential, but we also want to train our VO2 max and our ability to 
raise our lactate threshold as well too. So by incorporating speed work, we target those things as well. So I won't get into the details of speed work, but um, I always say like, if you are an experienced runner, like once you get to that point, and if you are just starting out on your ultra running journey, you don't have to think about this right away, but this is something that you can think about in the future if you maybe have hit a plateau or you've kind of hit like the ceiling on this. And so just to kind of backtrack and give you a general progression, if you're first starting up, just run low intensity. That's all you need to do. Run low intensity, build your base up. Once you kind of build your base up, you get to a comfortable place and you're seeing like maybe maybe the pace is kind of slowing out a little bit. What you're going to want to start to incorporate are strides. So with strides, what those essentially are, are basically bursts of anywhere between 15 to 20 seconds of running at a very high intensity, not a full out sprint, but close to it um, at the end of your runs and then having a recovery period of about a minute in between. So what does that look like? If you're running an easy run, you're running an easy run and then all of a sudden you accelerate into a near sprint, not a full sprint, a near sprint, hold that for 15 seconds and then slow down and ease into a jog for about one minute and then repeat that for, I would say about three more times. So you get four sets total. Um, Do that, do those strides for about three to four weeks, see how your body's reacting to it. And if your body allows, then you can probably start to introduce at least one speed workout a week to get your body into the mode of being able to do speed work. Because here's the thing, you don't wanna launch into speed work right off the bat, because if you do, that is a one-way ticket to Injuryville and we do not wanna send you there. So um, just know that if you're incorporating speed work, do that after you've built a base, after you've done a long period of strides and then and then make your way up from there as well. Now, if you work with a coach, they can go ahead and program all these things for you and make sure that you're progressing safely on those things. But just know that don't discount the speed work. And that's a great thing to dive into if you hit a plateau at the endurance phase on there as well. So um, that is why I am dying on that hill is because um, leading into Havelina 100, and I should say Zion 100, my first 100 miler, that is um, inherently uh, what had really, really helped to, you know, take my speed even further was incorporating speed work sessions and doing speed intervals. So that's just something to think about as well into your training too. So anyways, along the journey as well, um, this is training for my first 100 miler at Zion 100. Um, I had been, you know, obviously working with my coach and doing some more research and kind of thinking into the realm of ultra running. And one of the big topics that kept coming up was nutrition, right? And now I had, you know, obviously done nutrition being that I've done a 50 miler before and I've done, you know, Ironmans before and like very long distance endurance events. But you know, I was getting into a territory with a hundred miles where like, that's going to be greatly longer than anything else that I had ever done in the past. And so I knew I needed to take that to the next level and really nail that down. And transparently, I, I didn't have it too much in the Ironman days, but like my 50 mile ultra and my first 50 K, um, I had some pretty bad stomach issues, like just terrible stomach issues. And I did not get my fueling down right. And it was not, not great. And so, um, I think like this is one of the most important principles uh, that I learned along my journey. And this is something that I actually practice extensively in my training for my first 100 miler. And that was learn how to eat and properly hydrate when you are running, learning how to eat. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Jason Coop. And he says, um, he says, ultra running is an eating contest on the go. And it is so, so true. It is an eating contest on the go. 
Now we're going to do like a whole episode on like nutrition and things like that. So we'll go into like the whole things on there as well. But really a general principle that I like to say is like, if you think you're eating enough in ultra marathon, you might not be eating enough. Um, and generally you want to get anywhere between 250 to 400 calories an hour, depending on how much your body needs. And that is in hour. Now that's a lot of food. If you think about a hundred mile race, right? Let's just say you're going to be out there for 24, 25, 26 hours, right? And you think about getting in maybe 300 calories an hour. That's a lot of freaking calories. And so you're going to need to train your gut and how to be able to handle that food when you are out there. And nutrition is a big thing that doesn't really come, you know, to mind as much when we're talking about like, you know, oh, I want to race 100 miles for the first time. We always think about like the physical training and getting the mileage in. And yes, that stuff is 100% important. Don't get me wrong. Like you have fitness is king. That is the number one thing too. But the number one reason why people DNF in an ultra is because of GI issues or gastrointestinal issues. And that is generally because the nutrition plan sucks and so or there is no nutrition plan right so we need to work on getting a dialed in nutrition plan so I always say get a nutrition plan figure those things out figure out how your body reacts and test them on your long runs ideally with those long runs you want to be doing it anything past 90 minutes um, is when you are going to want to at least try and test some fueling on your runs as well. Anything below 90 minutes, you don't need to eat anything out there when you're running, but anything over 90 minutes, I always suggest testing out your stomach and trying things and trying foods out there that you are going to try on race day to help you get um, to where you want to be. So you got to learn how to eat and properly hydrate. Now on the properly hydrate part, um, there is an episode that I did on how to properly hydrate. So I We'll link that in the show notes if you want to take a listen on that one. And then the nutrition stuff, I'm going to be coming out with an episode real, real soon. But the other principle, you know, besides the training and everything like that, getting your nutrition plan down, and I mean race day nutrition, on how you're going to be feeling is going to be utterly important because your body's going to need that calories. It's going to need the fuel in order to keep your muscles and body going on race day in and itself. So just know that that is an important principle to get nailed down and something that I had to fine tune across my ultra journey to really get down and nailed right in itself. And even so, when I thought I had it nailed down, I actually did my first 100 miler. And let me tell you, I had really bad stomach issues. I um, I think it was like mile 40 or something. Like my stomach was just obliterated. And um, it was because I was taking in food that my stomach just did not quite frankly like. And that kind of like leads deeper into the principle is like, you know, you're going to have to test things out. And when you test things out, there probably is going to be some times where you eat something and your stomach says, no way, Jose, I am not doing this. And so therefore... You're just going to have to find a new way to go ahead and, and you know, a new type of food and things like that to really, really test those things out. So just know that nutrition and is really a testing game of testing what works, what doesn't, how much food, and it's something that you can employ on your training runs. And I always say, don't jump into a race with a nutrition plan if you haven't tested it out in training, right? Because if you do that, your gut's not going to be trained. You're just going to be going in blind and you might just be setting yourself up for absolute stomach disaster coming out both ways. I know that's pretty disgusting, but I'm just trying to paint a picture to get you to avoid that situation, you know, which I'm looking out for you. Um, So make sure you're testing your nutrition out there as well and uh, making sure that you are hydrated along the way too. So that is the next principle. Learn how to eat and properly hydrate. Now, two more principles on here, and this kind of goes into the... I'll tell you a story in a 100-mile race. So um, for my 100-mile race, that is one of the most important... um, really principles that you need to master as an endurance athlete. And it's one that like, I think a lot of us know inherently, but like they, we don't know until we've actually been there. And so I'll give you an example. So 
when I was in, you know, first doing a hundred mile race, uh, or training for my first hundred mile race, I would hear all these stories of, you know, people saying, yeah, my friend was in a hundred mile race. And then he DNF'd at mile 95. And I'm like, oh my gosh, was he hurt? Like he was so close. Oh my gosh. And they're like, no, he just DNF because he didn't think he can keep going. And transparently, like at the time I was like, like, and even just hearing that you're like, oh my gosh, like that he went 95 miles and he had five miles to go. And he like dropped out. Like to me, when I first heard that, that was like bonkers and bananas. Cause I was like, how the heck can you be so close and not like want to finish? Well, fast forward to my first hundred miler. And I had been dealing with stomach issues for hours and hours on end. I had been running by myself in the dark, which is something that um, I rarely do and did in training, which is inherently a mistake before. But I was running in the dark. I was alone. Um, I'd only seen people at aid stations. Um, I was hurting. I was like walking because like my legs were just fried, Um, just was not feeling good. I was tired. I was hallucinating. Like I was like, like it was the lowest physical and, and quite frankly, like, you know, ultra mental point that I had been in my life at the time. And, um, I like remember being at mile 97 and there was someone behind me and they went to go past me and they just said, Hey man, great job. Only three miles to go. And I remember him saying that. And in my head, I was like, Oh my gosh, I have three more miles to go. And I remember sitting down on the trail, starting to cry, being like, Oh my gosh, like three miles. Like it was like overwhelming to me at the time. And so like for me like that, and I ended up getting it together and, you know, shout out to my friend, uh, Vasile who, who was there too. And we ran it in together and everything like that. But that was my very first time, like really being in that low. And that was when I like first understood, like this principle is of utter importance. And that is get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to be, you got to, got to, got to understand that this ultra marathoning is hard. There is not one person I met who had said like, Oh, that hundred miler. Yeah. I never had a low point. Like pretty much everybody will hit a low point in an ultra, whether it is your first 50 K hundred miler, anything like that. Like you will hit a low point. Like I had low points in my 50 mile race. I had low points in my Ironmans. I had low points in pretty much every race that I had endured, but you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the best way to get comfortable being uncomfortable is putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. So usually that inherently looks like getting in very long runs when you're running. I'm not saying to do this every single weekend, but you know, in your peak phases, if you're sending yourself out on these like super long runs where you're going to hit the point where you're ultimately going to hit a wall and feel like you are need to really just mentally figure things out so you can keep going and start to quell the demons inside of your mind telling you to stop or quit or that you can't do it. Like you need to get good at really overcoming those things in your head so you can keep moving forward and getting comfortable being uncomfortable doesn't mean not getting uncomfortable. It means dealing with the uncomfortability, right? As I mentioned before, like with problem solving, it's not a matter of how many problems you face. It's a matter of how you solve the problems. And it's not a matter of how uncomfortable you are. It's a matter of how comfortable you are being uncomfortable. And again, the best way to do this is by going in and, and really, really putting yourself in situations that are a struggle. And again, this kind of goes back to the original principle. See how these are all stacking on each other, right? Original principle, right? You build confidence by doing the things that make you proud. And when you do that, you show that you can build the confidence to do that. And then you do that in race day and you're like, well, shit, I've been at this place before. I know how to do, I've gone through this before and you go through and do it. And because you did it in that race, then you sign up for the next race and you're like, fuck yeah, I did it. I did that. I gave, I made myself, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable. I know when I hit the low point in this race, 
trace, I will do it. See how this success spiral really just starts to propel itself forward by doing this. So get comfortable being uncomfortable, test yourself, push yourself, and note those times when you did that and recognize that getting comfortable being uncomfortable is going to get you to that finish line for sure, even if your brain is giving you every excuse in the book to tell you to quit, right? By the way, let me just give a quick, quick, quick thing on the brain, right? Let me tell you, like, think about this for a second. Have you ever had the thought pop into your head that said, you can't do this, right? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever had the thought that came into your mind that said, you're not good enough for this, or this is too hard for you? Have you had that thought before? I, I bet you have had that thought before. So let me ask you a next question on that. If you've had that thought before, then how can you say that those thoughts are yours, right? Because I've had that thought too right? And so has tons of other people. I remember too, like I remember I went to this conference once and someone was actually given this speech and every single person was raising their hands when the speaker asked, hey, have you had this thought before? And then he asked like, how can that be your, your thought? And so where I'm getting at to here is a lot of the times when we hear the thoughts that come into our head, we think that they are our thoughts and we think that they are our inner voice telling us what's real. But the reality is it's just thoughts. It's thoughts that the brain is throwing at us. They're not our thoughts. It's just a thought. And so what it, your brain is doing is because our body is getting put into a situation where we are literally thrashing it over the course of many, many miles, we're tired, we're depleted, we're dehydrated, all those kind of things, our brain is trying to get us to stop because it wants us to survive. Our brain was not meant to keep us safe, it was meant to have us to survive, right? It was meant to get us to survive, to run away from that saber-toothed tiger back in the caveman days, right? And so when it notices our body's in distress, it's going to send these signals via negative thoughts to tell us to chill the fuck out and stop. Now. With those things coming in, that doesn't mean that they're our thoughts and our inner voice, right? It just means it's our brain trying to send us suggestions that, hey, we might stop. But if we recognize that, number one, those thoughts aren't ours, we don't give it power. Negative thoughts only have power over us if we believe them to be true. If we believe them to be true. And so if it comes and says, and says, you can't do this, but you come back and said, and be like, motherfucker, I've done this thing before. I've done these hard things. I can do this. I don't believe this to be true. Then guess what? That thought's not going to have the power over you. So you got to be a ninja with being able to deflect these pesky thoughts coming into your head, like trying to tell you not to do something or not to keep going or anything like that, but knowing that they're not you and it's just your brain trying to make a suggestion. And if your brain is keep persisting, it keeps kind of throwing at you, you can say, hey brain, listen, I appreciate you trying to keep me safe. I appreciate you trying to uh to to keep me you know not from dying here i sound like dj Khaled, right i appreciate you i love you right that's dj Khaled, right i don't know anyways i'm getting kind of loopy you know hour and 20 minutes into this podcast but um anyways just look at your brain saying hey i appreciate you for trying to keep me safe but right now we are safe we're good and we're gonna make it through and this is going to be great. And so you acknowledge it. Again, it's kind of like that adapt principle I talked to before, but you want to be able to disarm those negative thoughts from having any power over you. So next principle, get comfortable being uncomfortable, defeat those thoughts, have that in there as well. Now, the last principle that I will say. So um, I do Zion 100. That was my first 100 miler. And then the next 100 miler after that was hobbling 100. And I've talked many times about my golden ticket goal, right? Not discounting my goals. I wanted to go for the golden ticket and I really wanted to train for it at hobbling 100. And um, I, for, for those who are unfamiliar, um, golden ticket, you have to place top two in your gender in order to get a golden ticket, which will send you to Western states. And a lot of these golden ticket races are some of the most competitive races in the United States, if not the world. So 
it was a pretty big stretch for me. Now, you know, with Zion 100, I did it in 24 hours. I was 10th place overall. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was like, if you look at that relative to a golden ticket performance, it was not even close, right? So um, it was a big stretch for me to do it, but I knew I was willing to put in the work and go for it, right? And I was thinking about that um, whole like formula I was saying before, like, you know, action plus learning in parentheses multiplied by belief will give me results. So I just need to take massive action. I need to learn a shit ton and I got to believe myself to the utmost ability. And I know I'm going to get to the results. Now I put in that training block, putting all these principles together. This was like the first training block where I really, really just put everything that I learned to the test. And on race day for Havelina hundred, this was last year going for that golden ticket. Um, I did not get the golden ticket. However, what I did was I got 10th place mail, 10th place mail. And it was a very, very competitive race. I ran that, uh, hundred miler in 16 hours and 36 minutes, um, which was super, super fast. Now, a lot of times people, a lot of people came up to me at the end of the race and they said, Hey man, I'm sorry that it didn't go the way you wanted. I'm sorry that it didn't go the way you wanted. I'm sorry that, you know, you didn't get the golden ticket. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. And, um, everyone's like, what really? Like you're not disappointed. I was like, yeah, well, you know, of course, like, you know, I am disappointed to get the golden ticket, but I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. Right. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And this is when I probably learned one of the most important principles. And this is such a great principle to, to, to hold on to if you ever get into a low spot or you have a bad run or you have a bad race or things that happen. And those things will happen. Like none of us are perfect. We're going to have days where we're feeling like we're regressing. We're going to have days where we feel like, you know, we're not making progress along the thing. And that is where this last and probably one of the most important principles comes into play. And that is measure your progress, not in a single run, but rather on a long enough timeline. Measure your progress, not in a single run, but rather on a long enough timeline. So what do I mean by that? Okay. So if I would just measure myself in a single run and my definition of success was getting a golden ticket, then that would have sucked. I would have been like, Oh my God, like I'm a failure, like blah, 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 blah. But what I did was I zoomed myself out and I said, Hey, I only really started running a few years prior to this. I had no athletic experience. I had no athletic, you know, abilities. I was insecure. I was addicted to drugs. I never ran more than a quarter mile in my entire life. And here I am through all these years getting 10th place at a race that was one of the most competitive ultra marathons in the United States. Like, how could I be upset about that? Now, again, if I was measuring myself on the single run, it could be easy to be upset about that. But when you zoom out and look at where you're going on a long enough timeline, holy shit, you're going to totally surprise yourself. So if along your journey, you feel bad about where you are currently in your team, zoom out because I guarantee you, I shouldn't say guarantee because you know, everyone's different, but for the most part, you're probably going to be making progress on that long enough timeline from where you were before. And even if you haven't, guess what? On a long enough timeline, you will get better. You will get better, right? Success is rarely linear. It has its ups. It has its downs. It has everything like this. And by the way, I just saw a post that just totally hit me to my core. And there was um, basically what it was. It was two, they had two pinballs, right? And one of the pinballs course, they had them side by side, the exact same distance. And the pinball on the left was literally just a straight, you know, um, uh, 
decline down into the area. So like, there was no ups and downs. It was literally just a kind of like a slide, like where it just goes down and that was it. And then the other one right next to it, it had ups and downs, kind of like rolling hills, right? I'm hoping I'm describing this right. But basically what they did was they pushed both those balls at the same time. And what happened was the ball that went through the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs actually finished quicker than the ball that went down the straight linear path. Now, what does that mean? It means that because you're having these failures, because you're having these ups and downs, you're actually going to make quicker progress. And success is not linear. And even if it was linear, you wouldn't get to where you are quicker. So all I'm saying is measure your progress, not in a single line, but rather on a long enough timeline. And if you're in this period of your life where you maybe are feeling like you're in this dip, look back at the chart and see that that dip is still way farther than where you were than you started. And that's something I'm telling myself now because, you know, I, I just did Hobbling 100. I'm sure you listen to that thing as well. And, you know, even though that race didn't go as well as I wanted to, damn, I'm still proud of the person that I became along the way. And I'm not just saying that to toot my own horn. I'm just saying this as an encouragement to you as you're going on your journey, when you hit the low points. And I'm saying when, because everybody does zoom out, measure yourself on the long timeline, not in the single run. And you will see that you are amazing that you made the progress that you want to make. And ultimately, you are on the path to hitting the goals and the dreams that you want to accomplish as an ultra runner. And what does that mean for me? Well, I'm still going for that golden ticket. That's what I'll be doing next year. Um, as you know, I'm also going for Kokodona 250, which uh, training is actually going to start tomorrow, baby. So Wednesday, November 29th, this recording. So I'm excited for that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, that's, you know, even though the last race didn't go the, the you know, way I'd hoped it to, we're still going on and we're still making it happen. So that's the last one. Measure your progress, not in a single run, but rather on a long timeline. Now, just to give you kind of a heads up. So I know I put all these timelines on here uh, or timelines. Geez. See, now I'm, I've also been watching Marvel, right? So if you watch a Marvel, they say timelines pretty much in every single piece of content. Anyways, anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, all these principles, I'm going to do episodes that are going to dive on these topics a lot deeper, right? Speed intervals, long distance running, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, right? All these things I want to go deeper on. And what I'm going to be doing is starting next week, I'm going to be releasing three episodes of the Everyday Ultra Podcast every single week. So we're going to be giving you more content, more in-depth stuff, and I'm going to be doing more solo cast episodes, sharing training principles to help you be a better endurance athlete. So stay tuned for that as well. I'm super excited to have you on there. If there's a topic that you'd like to listen to, please shoot me a DM on Instagram at Joe Corsione, and I'm happy to make that request for you as well and uh, make that episode on there. And if you have any questions too, always feel free to reach out to me too as well. I'm happy to help. But um, anyways, more of that stuff's coming soon. But regardless, in the meantime, if you are listening to this and looking to make the jump as an ultra runner or you're a current ultra runner and you want to get to the next level, whatever that might be for you, whether it's a PR, new distance, anything like that, there's one thing that I want to just say to you. I believe in you. And even though you're listening to this and we haven't met before, I do believe in you. And why do I believe in you? Is because the human element is meant to adapt. The human element is meant to adapt. And when I say human element, that applies to me, that applies to you, that applies to anyone in your life, because we are all humans. And humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. We are designed to literally adapt to our circumstances and situations around us to get better, right? And so because of that, if we are willing to do the work on a long enough timeline to put ourselves through the trials, the tribulations, the stresses, everything like that, to get to where we want to be, we will adapt to get to where we want to be and be the person that you want to be. 
And that goes back to the most important principle of what I started this whole thing on. You can become whoever you want to become no matter where you are now. And that's because of we are human and humans are amazing and we can adapt and we can learn and we can get better. And it let me be an example, but it's not just me too, but it's a lot of other people. I've seen people go from not running at all to their first 100 miler. I've seen people go from, you know, not athletic at all to a top ultra runner. I've seen people go from, you know, uh, again, like dead broke to super rich to kind of take it outside of like, you know, the you know, different things as well, like outside of ultra running, the human element's meant to adapt. And although you and I might've never met before, I still believe in you because you're human. And because you're human, you can fucking do it. So let's get those shoes on. Let's get training. Let's think about the goal we want to accomplish and let's fucking go for it. I'm here for you every step of the way. And if there's anything I can do to support you, please shoot me a DM on Instagram at Joe Corsione. Shoot me an email, everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be more than happy to help. All right, everybody. With that, get those shoes on. Get out there for a run. Chase those dreams. And remember, my friends, be a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care. Keep chasing those dreams. And let's go fucking do it.